I'm Wayne Turner, and welcome to the daily podcast of Bible Track. I've developed Bible Track to be both a commentary and a daily Bible reading schedule. These podcasts cover the text and commentary, which may be found at www.bibletrack.org. So, for those who have a busy schedule but do have time to listen to the Bible being read, this podcast is for you. At the end of one year, you will have gone completely through the Bible. As we continue our chronological reading through the Gospels, today we'll be looking at Matthew chapter 20, Mark chapter 10, verses 32 through 52, and Luke chapter 18, verse 31 down through 19, chapter 19, verse 28. So here's where we are with regard to Jesus' ministry. He's headed for Jerusalem and passes through Jericho, about 14 miles northwest of Jericho. We see that in Matthew chapter 20, verse 29, Mark 10:46, and Luke 18:35. We'll look at those verses in a few moments. They're just a few days from the Passover feast, and this is the day on which Jesus will be crucified, an event that he prophesies in the passage that we'll be looking at today in Matthew chapter 20, verses 17 through 19, Mark 10, 32 to 34, and Luke 18, 31 to 34. Now let's read Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. Verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is likened to a man that is an householder, which went out early in the morning to hire laborers into his vineyard. And when he had agreed with the laborers for a penny a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace and said unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right I will give you. And they went their way. Again he went out about the sixth and ninth hour, and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour he went out, and found others standing idle, and saith unto them, Why stand ye here all the day idle? They say unto him, Because no man hath hired us. He saith unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right, that shall ye receive. So when even was come, the lord of the vineyard saith unto his steward, Call the laborers, and give them their hire, beginning from the last unto the first. And when they came that were hired about the eleventh hour, they received every man a penny. But when the first came, they supposed that they should have received more, and they likewise received every man a penny. And when they had received it, they murmured against the goodman of the house, saying, These last have wrought but one hour, and thou hast made them equal unto us, which have borne the burden and heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I do thee no wrong. Didst thou not agree with me for a penny? Take that thine is, and go thy way. I will give unto this last, even as unto thee. Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with mine own? Is thine eye evil, because I am good? So the last shall be first, and the first last, for many be called, but few chosen. Here we see that uh, in this passage, Jesus is closing out on a theme that emerged, first of all, back in Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 through 30, regarding prominent positioning in the yet future kingdom of God. As a matter of fact, Jesus gives the parable of the hired servant in this passage. He concludes with the same words as he restates his proposition in Matthew chapter 19, verse 30. He does it here in Matthew chapter 20, verse 16, when he says, so the last shall be first and the first last, for many be called but few chosen. Now, in light of those two verses, it seems significant that Jesus had declared in Matthew 19:28 the following. 
that ye which have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. That, of course, is a reference to his twelve apostles. Before the earthly ministry of Jesus, they had no reason to suspect that they would ever have a position of authority in the Messianic kingdom that was yet future to them. Contrarywise, the contemporary Jewish leaders had every reason to believe that they, in fact, would be filling those positions of authority. With that in mind, verses uh, in chapter 19, verse 30, and chapter 20, verse 16, they fit nicely with Jesus' message. The last, meaning the twelve apostles, shall rule in the kingdom of God, the messianic kingdom, while the first, being the contemporary Jewish leaders, they'll come in last. Now, just in case the reality of the last, first, and first, last scenario doesn't seem quite so fair, this parable addresses the fairness of laborers contracted during different portions of the workday, yet given the same amount of wages at the conclusion of the day. While it does seem fair that the one who works the most, the greatest portion of the day, should, of course, get the greater reward, Jesus makes the point that when what has been promised is given, what more can one properly expect? His point is that people tend to spend too much time comparing their dedication and accomplishments to others rather than focusing on the reward for service promised by the Lord. Incidentally, we get a little bit of monetary exchange information here in this passage. Verse 2 tells us that the first laborers were willing to work all day for one penny. The Greek word there in the King James Version rendering for a penny is a denarion. That's a Roman silver coin circulated during the first century. The King James Version also sometimes translates denarion as pennyworth and sometimes pence. Based upon its usage here in this parable, we can safely assume that a common laborer in the first century was willing to work for one denarion per one twelve-hour day. Then we have the crosses prophesied by Jesus in the next section of Scripture, which is Matthew chapter 20, verses 17 through 19, Mark chapter 10, verses 32 to 34, and Luke chapter 18, verses 31 through 34. First, Matthew chapter 20, verse 17. And Jesus, going up to Jerusalem, took the twelve disciples apart in the way and said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be betrayed unto the chief priest and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death, and shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify him, and the third day he shall rise again. Now Mark chapter 10, verse 32 through 34, the same occasion. And they were in the way going to Jerusalem, and Jesus went before them, and they were amazed. And as they followed, they were afraid. And he took again the twelve and began to tell them what things should happen unto them, saying, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be delivered unto the chief priest and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death, and shall deliver him to the Gentiles. And they shall mock him, and shall scourge him, and shall spit upon him, and shall kill him, and the third day he shall rise again. Now from Luke's perspective in Luke chapter 18, verses 31 through 34. Then he took unto him the twelve and said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. For he shall be delivered unto the Gentiles, and shall be mocked, and spitefully entreated, and spitted on, 
and they shall scourge him and put him to death, and the third day he shall rise again. And they understood none of these things, and his saying was hid from them, neither knew they the things which were spoken. All right, so first, before they established in the kingdom of God on earth, the Messiah must suffer as Isaiah had said. He had prophesied that the uh, Messiah would suffer in Isaiah chapter 53. And Daniel prophesied that he'd be cut off in Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 to 27. Well, Jesus outlines his imminent crucifixion to the disciples as they prepare to go into Jerusalem for the last Passover. This Passover feast will be different. Jesus will be crucified as our Passover lamb on the very day of the feast, the day that they ordinarily slay the Passover lamb. These verses put the discipleship's comments of the preceding verse in clear focus. If you're to follow Jesus as his disciple at this point, it will be to the death. Notice the specifics of Jesus' prophecy here regarding his crucifixion. Not only did he prophesy that he would be crucified, the Greek word there, starao, means to execute on a cross. Not only did he prophesy the execution on the cross, but he also prophesied that he'd be mocked, scourged, and spit upon. But then, finally, resurrected in three days. So you see, the disciples just really couldn't say that Jesus didn't warn them, could they? He gave them a full overview of what was in store for them just a few days out. Now we see that uh, James and John uh, have an agent in the next section of Scripture. We'll be reading it from two of the Gospels, Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 to 28, and Mark chapter 10, verses 35 to 45. Now first, Matthew chapter 20, beginning with verse 20. Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, What wilt thou? She saith unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit, the one on thy right hand and the other on the left, in thy kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, You know not what ye ask. Are ye able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of, and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They say unto him, We are able. And he saith unto them, Ye shall indeed drink of my cup, and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared of my father. And when the ten heard it, they were moved with indignation against the two brethren. But Jesus called them and said unto them, Ye know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise great authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you, but whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister, and whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Now the same occasion in Mark chapter 10, verses 35 through 45. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, come unto him, saying, Master, we would that thou shouldest do for us whatsoever we shall desire. And he said unto them, What would ye that I should do for you? They say unto him, Grant unto us that we may sit, one on thy right hand, and the other on thy left hand, in thy glory. 
But Jesus said unto them, Ye know not what ye ask. Can ye drink of the cup I drink of, and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said unto him, We can. And Jesus said unto them, Ye shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of, and with the baptism that I am baptized with, with all shall ye be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left hand is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be much displeased with James and John. But Jesus called them to him and said unto them, You know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and the great ones exercise authority upon them. But so shall it not be among you, but whosoever will be the great among you shall be your minister, and whosoever you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. So what do the disciples glean from the comments that have been just heard indicating that the end is imminent? Well, they clearly understand it's a kingdom of God on earth proposition, and they think it's at hand, near. That's why the mother of James and John intercede on their behalf as their agents, or should I say, their power broker. The fact that Mark doesn't mention that they utilize the services of their mother as their agent is incidental to the event. On more than one occasion in Scripture, the thoughts and intents of one are relayed by yet another. In this passage, their mother serves as their mouthpiece, so to speak, but the desires for these leadership roles are their very own. Of course, she's willing to participate on their behalf. She wants a prominent place in the leadership structure for her boys. I mean, what a mom. We see in Matthew chapter 20, verse 22, that she made this request in their presence. So to get the full impact of a request, we must go back to the comment made by Jesus at the beginning of this discussion, back in Matthew 19, 28, where he said, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So here's the picture. Jesus in the middle with six apostles on his left and six apostles on his right. Yeah, but who are the two seated on the two thrones right next to Jesus himself? Well, and what about the reaction of the other apostles to the request? I mean, James and John, they they want to be in those two seats right next to Jesus. So Matthew states their attitude like this. He says, they were moved with indignation against the two brethren. That's the other apostles, of course. They're kind of upset with James and John. Now, Mark wasn't actually there on the occasion as Matthew was. Mark's information came from the other apostles later on. He puts it more gently when he says of them, they began to be much displeased with James and John. Well, that's the way Mark describes it, talking about the other apostles. Oh, well, anyway, you say it. The request wasn't at all well received with the other apostles. Jesus uses this opportunity to teach a valuable lesson. Here's that lesson. A leader must first be a servant. Now, both Matthew and Mark convey the words of Jesus on this occasion as follows. The Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. As I said, a valid leader must first be a good servant.
Now, please uh, allow me to put a contemporary face on Jesus' reply in this passage. One of the problems, as I see it, in churches today is a struggle to acquire leadership positions in local churches. Well, that causes friction and it injects politics into the assembly of God's people. Jesus is establishing a clear precedent here when he declares that leadership positions should follow clear demonstrations of actual personal ministry. But here's the problem. People who don't minister to other believers as the natural process of their daily routine are just not going to suddenly become those ministers when they are officially given a leadership position. In other words, in churches today, many people hold formal leadership titles within the local church who aren't really ministers at all. This creates a political environment, but not a very good ministry environment. Then we have in the next section of Scripture recorded by all three of the Gospel writers, the Synoptic Gospel writers, the healing of two blind men. We'll be looking at Matthew chapter 20, verses 29 to 34, Mark chapter 10, verses 46 to 52, and Luke chapter 18, verses 35 to 43. First, Matthew chapter 20, verse 29. And as they departed from Jericho, a great multitude followed him, And behold, two blind men sitting by the wayside, when they heard that Jesus passed by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou Son of David. And the multitude rebuked them, because they should hold their peace. But they cried the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou Son of David. And Jesus stood still and called them and said, What will ye that I should do unto you? They say unto him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. So Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes and immediately their eyes received sight and they followed him. Now from Mark's perspective in Mark chapter 10 verses 46 through 52. And they came to Jericho and as he went out of Jericho when his disciples and a great number of people blind Bartimaeus the son of Timaeus sat by the highway side begging. And when he had heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And many charged him that he should hold his peace, but he cried the more a great deal. The son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And they called the blind man, saying unto him, Be of good comfort, rise, he calleth thee. And he, casting away his garment, rose and came to Jesus. And Jesus answered and said unto him, What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? The blind man said unto him, Lord, that I might receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus in the way. Now over to Luke chapter 18, verses 35 to 43. And it came to pass that as he was come nigh to Jericho, a certain blind man sat by the wayside begging. And hearing the multitude pass by, he asked what it meant. And they told him that Jesus of Nazareth passes by. And he cried, saying, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And they which went before him rebuked him that he should hold his peace And he cried so much the more, Thou son of David, have mercy on me. 
And Jesus stood and commanded him to be brought unto him. And when he was come near, he asked him, saying, What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? And he answered and said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Receive thy sight, thy faith hath saved thee. And immediately he received his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise unto God. You'll notice from this passage that Matthew recalls both blind men on this occasion who were both healed. But Mark and Luke only talk about the apparent spokesman of the two. Now, according to Mark's account, he was known as blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. So while two were healed, Mark and Luke only report on the one who was apparently well known, probably from their activities later on as a disciple. Subsequently, these two blind men follow Jesus. Now we read the story that everybody loves to read, the story about Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans, and he was rich. And he brought to see Jesus, who he was, and could not pass for the press, and because he was of little stature, and he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to be guest with a man that is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of all my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house, for so much as he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Well, even though Zacchaeus is a Jew, and we see in verse 9, none of the Jews actually like him because he's a publican. He's a tax collector. Tax collecting, we're told, was a contract job where contractors bid on the right to collect taxes from the Roman subjects of a particular region. They paid the bid amount to the Roman government, then collected from the citizens an amount that provided a handsome return on their investment. Now, Luke identifies Zacchaeus as the chief among those tax collectors. In other words, he had people who worked under him in the business of tax collecting. Apparently, the Roman government did not concern itself with how much the tax collector charged the subjects under his authority. He could use the full force of Roman law to collect these taxes. Now, by Zacchaeus' own admission... He'd uh, extorted money from those over whom he had won the right to collect the taxes. When Jesus spots Zacchaeus in the tree, he calls his name and invites himself over for dinner at Zacchaeus' house. Well, Zacchaeus naturally is overwhelmed with emotion at this acceptance by someone as prominent as Jesus. So instantly he promises restitution to those um, that he's done the wrong to. And Jesus subsequently identifies Zacchaeus positively when he says 
this day is salvation come to this house. Jesus obviously knew what was in Zacchaeus' heart. Those influential Jews, though, standing around, they aren't happy. As far as they're concerned, Zacchaeus is not redeemable. He's just a sinner. He's an old publican. Make any, any attempt whatsoever to redeem him in their minds was strictly out of the question. Moreover, any association with Zacchaeus by a righteous man would have been considered completely unacceptable. That attitude toward Zacchaeus by those who were offended, well, that sets up the next parable with verse 10 when it says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. So you see, Zacchaeus was lost until Jesus found him. Now we have Luke chapter 19, verses 11 through 28, not paralleled by any of the other Gospels. Verse 11. And as they heard these things, he added and spake a parable, because he was nigh to Jerusalem, and because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. He said, therefore, certain noblemen went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a message after him, saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. And it came to pass that when he was returned, having received the kingdom, then he commanded the servants to be called unto him, to whom he had given the money, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained ten pounds. And he said unto him, Well, thou good servant, because thou hast been faithful in a very little, have thou authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained five pounds. And he said likewise to him, Be thou also over five cities. And another came, saying, Lord, here is thy pound, which I have kept laid in a napkin. For I feared thee, because thou art an austere man, that thou takest of that which thou layest not down, and reapest that that thou didst not sow. And he saith unto him, Out of thine own mouth will I judge thee, thou wicked servant. Thou knewest that I was an austere man, taking up that I had not laid down, and reaping that I did not sow. Wherefore then gavest not thou my money into the bank, that at my coming I might have required mine own with usury? And he said unto them that stood by, Take from the pound and give it to him that hath ten pounds. And they said unto him, Lord, he hath ten pounds. For I say unto you that unto every one which hath shall be given, and from him that hath not, even that he hath shall be taken away from him. But those mine enemies, which would not that I should reign over them, bring hither and slay them before me. And when he had thus spoken, he went before, ascending up to Jerusalem. Well, this parable is introduced by Jesus to add perspective to Zacchaeus, to that incident when we read in verse 11, And as they heard these things, he added and spake a parable because he was nigh to Jerusalem, and because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. So, what's the linkage here? Well, it appears to me that 
as the people believe that Jesus is the Messiah and that he's getting ready to establish the prophesied kingdom on earth, that in this process, Jesus is calling into question the activities of the schooled Jewish leaders of that day, being the Sadducees, Pharisees, and scribes. They're looking for the return of the king and the kingdom to Israel. Now, you might ask, does this parable deal with this time between the first and second advent of Jesus, or does it deal with the time between the demise of Judah, which took place in 586 B.C., and this day when Jesus is preparing to ride into Jerusalem as the Messiah in order to restore Israel? Well, based upon the timing of this parable with the story of Zacchaeus, I believe that Jesus is pointing out that the Jewish leaders of the day were making no attempt to win people to their version of righteousness. Instead, they flaunted their righteousness before the common Jew, as though they themselves were members of an exclusive club. Now, I believe this parable is an indictment against their selfish activities that led up to that day. They had taken the gift and trusted to their care, being knowledge of the word, And they refused to use it to bring people to God. Not only so, they rejected Jesus, who was about the business of making a positive impact on these common Jews. I'm convinced that the wicked servant of verse 22 is intended to be a reference to those Jewish leaders who did not want to invest their knowledge of God in the common Jew. Their self-righteous selfishness causes Jesus here to reject them just as they had rejected Zacchaeus. Incidentally, Jesus uses the parable again with a few minor variations to characterize those wicked Jews during the tribulation, those being the ones who simply did not anticipate during the tribulation the return of the Messiah in Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. This concludes our podcast for today. I'm Wayne Turner, and if you'd like to read along with our commentary online, go to www.bibletrack.org. Thank you for listening in today. The background music for these podcasts is an original composition written by the music director of Fayette Bible Church, Paul Walton. 